Welcome to the That Don't Fit podcast, a podcast where we're dedicated to talking about life and life's real issues that cross racial and generational lines. My name is Jared Torrance, and I'm here with my co-host, Andy Farmer. We're friends, we're pastors, we're wanting to help people talk and process life in a crazy world. Welcome to the conversation. Galatians has so many uh, prominent and beautiful themes throughout it but it also touches on wonderful theological doctrines that affect our lives in many ways. But tonight I want to grab one specific theme, one needle uh, of the book of Galatians and observe how this theological needle is thread throughout the entire book, making this letter a masterclass on gospel unity. You see what Paul is communicating to these churches is that gospel centrality guarantees spirit empowered unity. This is what Paul wants to communicate to the Galatian churches. And this is what I want to communicate to you guys this evening. So let me do a quick overview here. So chapters one and two, essentially uh, Paul is coming in. He's he's upset. He's saying, how can you abandon this God-given gospel? Christ himself has revealed this to me and not men. If you remember Paul's conversion story, he's riding on a horse and then shablow, Jesus shows up and confronts him. And Jesus himself delivered the gospel to the apostle Paul. And so uh, it, Uh, chapter one, verse six says this. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul goes on this little diatribe about his his, uh, authenticity, his authority that he has, that Jesus Christ himself has given him this gospel message. And then he goes on to highlight what is so wrong about what they're doing. And so he highlights Peter's ethnic partiality. This is in chapter two. And he, because this partiality that Peter shows is hypocrisy. It contradicts justification by faith alone because we cannot add our works to improve our salvation. Galatians 2, 11, I opposed him, who was Peter, I opposed Peter to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas, who was Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And then he goes on to explain justification by faith and and he continues and encourages them and says, our life is a reflection of Christ's love and his saving grace. He's telling them we need to crucify our flesh. We need to crucify these laws that we are giving ourselves over to because it is Christ who lives in me. Uh, Chapter two, verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Chapters three and four, this is, uh, Paul goes on and continues to just hammer this doctrine of justification, but he expands uh, their view of justification because he lets them know that this justification this, this, this being made right with God, this, this stamp that says no more condemnation for us is for the Jew and the Gentile. Chapter three, verse 14, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, who was like 
the father of all the Jews, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And so Paul's communicating to them, we are now a new family, heirs to the promises of God. In chapter four, Paul uh, hits this wonderful uh, doctrine of adoption. Chapter four, verse four says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is their new identity. This is our new identity, a son of God. Not because of the law, but because of justification by faith, because of the grace of God. This is what Paul wants to hammer into the Galatian churches. But this new identity has implications. So he, he lists this out in chapters five and six. He says, you are now called to a freedom. This is what he's explaining to them. You guys are now called to a freedom that lovingly serves one another. Galatians 5, 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So he's telling them, you have to crucify the flesh. You have to walk in step with the spirit. You have to care for one another in humility. This is how believers act. These, this is how the family of God now acts. We act in love. We walk in step with the spirit. We care for one another. We bear one another's burdens. Galatians 5.16 and Galatians 6.2 says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That, that encompasses all of life. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And uh, 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So that's kind of our, our, our brief overview of the book of Galatians, kind of uh, high themes that Paul hits throughout. And so I want to bring it down kind of to, to our level. So what does the unity in the book of Galatians mean for us? And it means that gospel centrality guarantees spirit-empowered unity. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at what gospel centrality actually shows us. Because we cannot have true gospel unity without gospel centrality. And I'm, I'm going to kind of flesh that out and explain what all that means as we're walking through this. So point number one is this. Gospel centrality shows us this. Justification by faith creates a new community. Church, our primary identity, the most important thing about us must be this, those who have been justified by faith. That's what defines me. That's, what, that's who I am. I am someone who is justified by faith. I am a son of God. If we are truly unified in gospel centrality, our life together will be characterized by Christ-like love and nothing else. No room for partiality, no room for factions, no room for divisions. I, I want us to know this because I don't think we have this yet. 
That, that's why there's, there's that low level of, of judgment and sometimes insecurity in our life together. Church, if we don't get this, if we don't understand this, if we don't grasp on to the doctrine of justification and allow that to define who we are, this is what our life will look like. Lives filled with gossip and slander and envy and strife. We will be divided into factions. Whose side are you on? Which direction do you lean in this? Friendships will end. Trust will weaken. Elitism will run rampant. Finding your identity and your purpose in something other than what Christ has done for you and made you. That's what your life will be. And this is a detriment not only to your life and your friendships, your marriage, your parenting, how you exist in this community, but it is also a detriment to the witness of the church to non-believers. What makes us who we are? What is at the core of all that we believe, of all of our actions? What is it that makes black people and white people and Hispanic people and Chinese people and Democrats and Republicans and poor people and rich people come together? Though important, it is not how we walk out the call to do justice and love mercy. Though important, it is not how we vote. Though important, it is not the color of your skin or your cultural background. At the core of who we are, that must inform everything that we do, that informs how we love one another, how we speak to one another, what we unite around is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel centrality, meaning the message of our salvation by faith alone informs, illuminates and enlightens every single action, every single thought that we have, every single conversation that we have. That is what unites us. Gospel centrality guarantees spirit empowered unity. Point number two, gospel centrality shows us this. This new community functions together in step with the spirit. When the gospel enlightens, illuminates, and informs how we view one another, we will strive to love your neighbor as yourself. 513, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. True gospel centrality does not make unity easy. But with the power of the Spirit, it is possible and will happen. Because when we unite around the gospel, when we understand that our identity in Christ is the most important thing about us, we can overlook, understand, and empathize with differences, which will lead us to care better for one another and allow us to bear each other's burdens. And again, this is not easy, but the Spirit of God makes this possible. It is hard work. Having hard conversations is exhausting. But <laughs> something to note here, hard conversations, when I say that, I don't mean arguments. That's not the definition of a hard conversation. When I say a hard conversation, I mean when two people are, who disagree, humbly come together, seek to understand one another, seek to love each other better at the conclusion of that conversation. That is a hard conversation. When our goals are to understand one another. Friends, gospel-centric unity looks like this. Conviction, repentance, forgiveness, and love are regularities among us. 
So as you're wrestling with this topic of unity, specifically in regards to racial harmony, can I ask what is worrying you? What, what is making this such a fatiguing and tired topic? Because Paul is exhorting us to not grow weary, not, not in dissensions, not in proving you're right, not in fact-checking people, but to not grow weary in doing good, to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, which is summed up as loving your neighbor as yourself. I want us to reground ourselves in identification by justification. Who are you? What are you about? Justification by faith alone. That's who I am. That is my core identity. I want them to give, I want us to give time to study and fully give ourselves over to the doctrines of grace, to the doctrine of adoption, to think, oh my goodness, I truly am adopted into the family of God when I don't deserve it. I don't deserve the grace I've been given and yet it is mine. And, and so what we have to do is we have to live in that. Yes, I am black. Yes, my ethnic identity matters. God created it and it is beautiful. And he created others as well. And they're all beautiful. They're all part of his family. But we have to love one another. Our justification by faith means that we're not bringing anything to the table of our own works. It levels the playing field. We have to love one another. We have to be united and we're not gonna do that unless the gospel stays central. Gospel centrality guarantees spirit-empowered unity. I want us to feel shocked by the simplicity in which our anxieties and our anger and our divisions can be put to rest. I want us to feel confidence that a recentering on the gospel actually changes important things about our lives and for us to feel happy in that. And so I'm going to end with a, with a quote from a very happy pastor, Ray Ortland, on what this looks like. What it looks like when the churches feast on the doctrine of justification and allow that to shape, allow that truth to shape our identity. He says this, for starters, Galatians 5.15 says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. How do we bite and devour? With our mouths, with our words, our narratives, cut others down to build ourselves up. The worse they look, the better we look. But whenever we need negative things to be true about others, it's self-justification. And because it's about being right, it never feels wicked. It feels right. It feels justified. One fault-finding bite leads to another and the feeding frenzy ends up consuming everyone involved, even the quote, winners. But healthy churches feed on the doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from all our works. That good news is what healthy churches bite and devour and consume continually. The gospel of justification applied to our hearts and relationships creates peace and joy for everyone involved. Paul's letter to the Galatians leads us into those green pastures and beside those still waters. Church, let's exhibit this type of behavior. Let's feast on the happy doctrines of grace and strive for gospel centrality in order to live in spirit-empowered unity. Amen. So I want to start, guys, with a question. Um, and this is one of those, this is a binary question that probably doesn't have a binary answer. Um, but in a basic I sense... I think it's both and. 
Eastville. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, wait, no, what's the question? Yeah, that's right, yeah, that's right. Um, in a basic sense, would you characterize this issue with Peter and the Galatians as an ethnic issue or a doctrinal issue? Yes. How would you characterize it? Yes. <laughs> My answer is both. So, no, this was, this was huge. So this is actually really fun as I was kind of like trying to like read through things and study things. It is, uh, there's so much history and racial hatred between Gentiles and the Jews that, uh, that would influence and inform Peter to do what he did. So I don't think Peter, as, as he's sitting there, retreated from the Gentiles because he's like, oh, you know what? I don't want them to think that I'm doing these laws. Like Peter understood, like he, he saw the risen Christ. Like he knows what Christ did. Mm -hmm. He knows that it's not about what you need to do. Again, he had that dream. He, he, like Jesus spoke, like God spoke to Peter. And so there's no reason for him to retreat because Peter didn't think that his justification was being threatened by being with the Gentiles. Yeah. But as he retreated, he was doing it because of the ethnic division that was there. Mm -hmm. So there's, a, I think there's a little bit of both. Okay. But I, but I think it would lean in the in the uh, ethnic partiality category. Okay. But it, but again, his ethnic partiality communicated the doctrinal error. Yeah. 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 And there's all there's all kinds of things going going on there. Obviously, you have these Judaizers coming in. Yep. There's false teaching. There's doctrinal issues yep. that are at stake. But then among the com among Christians, yeah. they have so much uh, common ground. Are there differing religious yeah. practices that are there? Mm -hmm. Yes. But I don't think we can just sort of say, okay, so all of this is just sort of theological, biblical, doctrinal yeah. uh, differences that were there. There's all kinds of things going yes. on yeah. in, in Peter's example in terms of the, the hypocrisy, the, the, the fear of man. Mm -hmm. uh, the, there's relational sins that are at work there. Mm -hmm. That's a part of what he's confronted for. And they are relational sins that are expressing themselves across ethnic lines. Yeah. And he actually expands it out. He talks about not just not just Jew Gentile, he talks about male female. He talks yes. about slave free. So yes. social status, yep. uh, gender, uh, you know, it's you know, there's something in our hearts that if we can find a way to divide, we will divide. Right. Yes. Yep. Um, we we like the idea that we can we can determine who who are our people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things I'm I'm aware of is that instinct to sort of say, yeah, who, okay, who are my people? In this group, who are my people? Yeah. And, uh, and want to draw into those people. And, you know, for me, it can have, can have age implications. You know, you, could, you know, my people are a certain age and above. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, uh, and so, so I think there's that heart issue that expressed here in, um, in, in what Peter does, but Paul takes that to another level and says this is happening a lot of places in, in your church. So mm, part of what it means, I think, is a heightened obligation mm -hmm. that we have to one another as a as a church family. Mm -hmm. As the you know, Galatians six ten has that phrase, uh, the you know, let's do good oh, to everyone, but especially to the household of yeah. faith. Like you are the same household. Yep. 
And so that me, that's, there's implications there for how you relate to each other. If I have two kids who aren't getting along in my household, I can't just be like, well, okay, how about you guys just avoid each other for the rest of your lives? <laughs> no, you're the same household. You're going to have to work through yes, this. You're going to good. have to get along. And so it is in the church as a family, mm-hmm. as a, as a household. Really we, have, we have heightened obligations to, to do good to, to serve, mm-hmm. uh, to walk in love towards those who are in uh, the, the church family that we have joined. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I, I love the idea and that that we're here because of adoption. Mm-hmm. In other words, none of us naturally belong here. Right. This is not where we belong right. left to ourselves. Mm-hmm. We've been chosen. God has chosen us for adoption. And in choosing us for adoption, we know it's not because of anything in us. There's no value in us mm-hmm. to add us to God's team. Right. You know, we're not draftees, uh, you know, and then so there's no first round, second round draftee. We're all, we're all. Uh, Mr. Irrelevant. Mr. Irrelevant, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, and so when we gather together, our commonality is not simply that we're all in the same family, is that none of us deserve to be in the family in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's powerful because I think it helps us uh, as, as believers to look at our differences and say, you know what, we, those differences exist, but here there's been, there's been something else that's happened. We've been brought in, and our, and our similarities now outweigh our differences. Yeah. Being not only uh, having the same father, but having been chosen <laughs> by that father for adoption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Here's a question. Um, you said, you said pretty strongly, Uh-oh. if we... <laughs> <laughs> we do this in the there podcast. There you go, speaking strongly. <laughs> That's right. We do this in the podcast. And That's right. <laughs> now you get a chance to see what it looks like. Uh, but... Uh, you talked about if the gospel is being preached, if justification by faith is being preached, then uh, then we won't see this kind of strife. Mm. But we know yes. that we preach the gospel. Hopefully we're preaching the gospel yes. here. Yes. And yet we can still see strife. And yeah. we know there are churches, yeah. and there are churches uh, who are in strife with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we deal with the idea that if we're preaching the sound gospel faithfully, yeah. uh, and I agree with your yeah. point, yeah. what does it mean that we still have these issues? Yeah, that's fantastic. So um, I didn't have time to get into this, but I really I had this whole section on enslavement to sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, so when Paul's speaking to the Galatians, he he, he, he pulls out this wonderful metaphor of just like, why are you guys essentially get, going back into slavery? Yeah. Like, why, why are you guys like, you've been freed, you're able to run rampant and go and enjoy life. And yet you're just like, you know what? Throw these chains back on me, which is what we do all the time. So whenever we, uh, he says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And so he's saying, so if you're led by the Spirit, you know, you get the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all those things. He's like, but, but if you're not walking in step with the Spirit, you're under the slavery of the flesh. And that is 
The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you and I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he said that he contrasts us, but the fruit of the spirit. And so it's like, yes, the gospel is preached. Yes, we will do these things. And, uh, and of course, none of us are perfect. We are sinners, you know. But when we do give way to envy and strife and jealousy and fits of rage, we're not enslaved to those things, you know? And we're also not condemned. Like uh, I love uh, John Piper has this thing where he, where he would talk about, you know, when we sin, when we give way to sin, we're paying debts to something that we don't owe anymore. It's like if you completely paid off Sally Mae and you're just like, you know what? I miss paying Sally Mae. Let me drop a hundo in her, in her bank account. It's like, no, why would you do that? And so when we're giving way to that and we, we give ourselves over to fits of anger, and dissensions and envy, we're going back under that yoke of slavery. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not what we need to do because we are justified, because we've been brought out, not because of your works, but by faith, you don't have to give in to the flesh anymore. Yes, God is powerfully at work in us, and yet we need to intentionally pursue these things. And that happens in community. Mm -hmm. It happens in relationships. It's one of the striking things about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is that most of those things you can't do on your own. Yeah. You can't lock yourself in a, in a room and be gentle and loving and mm -hmm. kind. Uh, mm -hmm. those, are, those have to do with how you relate to other people. Yeah. And so, um, so, so the, the, the fruit of the Spirit and the power of the gospel is lived out in relationships as we're intentionally pursuing and applying the gospel yeah. mm -hmm. uh, to, our, to our daily lives, to our daily relationships. Yeah. So and by applying the gospel, it, if this is true, how then should I live? Mm -hmm. Essentially, like, yeah. okay. Okay, if this is true, yeah. how should I live toward those who are like me, those who are different than me, those who oppose me? How should I live? And kind of what we're saying is that where you see weaknesses in the church, in all of our lives, mm -hmm. it's because, yeah, really, I'm not, you're not asking that question. If this is true, how then should I live? Um, and I think that's, that's huge because I think part of maturity is that the church as a whole looks more like a gospel community. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, you know, I, I see it in our church. I, you, you see examples of it literally every week where people mm -hmm. astound you by the way they handle things in a way the world would never handle it. Yeah. Yeah. They deal with it in a way that, the, you know, you would just say the world would never say deal with it this way. But you mm -hmm. are doing the work of not letting your flesh drive you, mm -hmm. but are seeking to walk in step with the Spirit. And that's really, you know, I mean, part of my, my, my thrill in being a pastor is to, is to watch people do the, the hard work of keeping in <laughs> step with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Not that we're all perfect, but that's, a, that's, that's where you see change. That's yeah. where you see things happen. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, I think part of what it means, love your neighbor as yourself, we're wanting to, it's, it's the whole golden rule of treating others as we would want to be <laughs> treated, and the next verse there in Galatians 5, 15, is that verse that talks, <laughs> if you bite and devour yeah. one another, I mean, talking about how the, how the church's way of relating to each other is distinct from the world. The world right. has the, the corner on biting mm -hmm. and devouring, and we know times that we have been bitten 
and mm-hmm. devoured by others, mm-hmm. we don't enjoy that. Yeah. Right. And so we resolve that we will communicate in ways that, and I would, I would even put it this way, we use great care in the effect that our words will have on others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. There are things I have the freedom to say that would not be edifying to yes. say, yeah. that, w- that will not be received as loving mm-hmm. uh, to, to a brother. And so I think there's implications for how we speak and for how we listen as yeah. well, I would say, because we all know <laughs> what, what it's like to be in a conversation where we feel like you're, and this relates to, to what JT was saying, I don't feel like you're representing my, <laughs> or understanding yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's something to, the whole category of charitable listening yeah. is a huge one for me yeah. in yes. any sort of um, racial, ethnic mm-hmm. conversations. Like when some, so there's the obligation for those of us who speak to do so graciously, mm-hmm. kindly, with an awareness of the impact of our words. But then there's also an obligation that comes to me as I listen, where if someone else drops something, um, help me to understand that. By that, do you mean this? How can I, I I wanna be known as being a charitable listener. Mm -hmm. Not, well, if you said that, then that's unhelpful because of this and this. Um, I think that that charitable judgments and the whole category of love, of charity, has tremendous implications for how we how we listen. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. You know, what comes to my mind is, you know, for me, is I, I'm a person in process. Like I'm, mm-hmm. you know, in every area of my life, I'm, you know, hopefully maturing in Christ. But in in these areas like ethnic and racial uh, justice and those issues. I'm a person in process, and I, I don't want to be presumed to be by what I might respond to a question, oh, this is where you are, mm. this is what you are, and, and flattened out. I'm a three-dimensional person who's, who's wrestling with things. Mm-hmm. So I might not say something in a way that I'd ultimately like to say it or didn't say it as well as I could, but I can feel like my words get judged mm. because of how I said it, and therefore, uh, therefore I'm, I'm, I'm categorized. Or I'm categorized by appearance, or I'm categorized by, by, uh, by reference points, and and so I think that you know loving one of mm. others as as you love yourself is I, I'd like to I'd like to love people, recognizing that the conversation we're having right now is not the end point of right. where they're at. Yeah. It's they're in process as well, yeah, and is this conversation helping them in their own growth in wisdom? Or is it just showing them, in my mind, how much they still need to know? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think there's a certain sense, there's a respect for the other person that we're even in this conversation because you're growing and trying to learn and change. And you may not, and it's not like we have a, here's where you, everybody's got to end up. Right. You know, there's not a, okay, we all got to get to this point. Um, it's no, my life experience has shaped how I view this and I'm trying to, understand it, going back to your initial thing, according to the gospel. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to apply the gospel to my understanding, my frame of reference, my history, how I understand these things. And so cut me a break, you know I mean? It's, <laughs> I mean <laughs> you know, hey, you know, it was, it, that didn't go well. It doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean that, yeah. that I'm going to walk away and never change. Um, yeah. So it's those kind of things I think we get at. Uh, just in closing here, um, just a brief comment from each of you on how can we better help carry one another's burdens? Galatians 6, 
fulfill the law of Christ by carrying burdens? What's a way that we can carry one another's burdens in this area of, of racial and ethnic unity? Yeah. One thing that comes to mind is just, I really want to know what your burdens are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That means that I'm not... <laughs> Uh, bearing someone's burdens requ- will require knowing and as best as we can seeking to understand what those burdens are. I'm not going to be able to bear someone's burdens if I'm coming into a conversation seeking to win arguments or right, seeking exactly. to, well, you need to understand these things more. Mm. This is someone who is carrying burdens. Yeah. And so uh, let me seek to to understand what those burdens are so that I can pray so that I can uh, express love mm-hmm. yeah. um, in, in inappropriate ways. <clears throat> yeah, I think one way uh, to bear one of those burdens would be finding out what those burdens are and then, uh, and then treating them like burdens, like mm-hmm. praying about those things, like in the moment. Like I, I feel like a lot of our conversations can be so prayerless about these issues. Yeah. Which is like, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I, I feel like if a burden is presented, rather than trying to figure out what the burden is or fix the burden or discredit the burden, ex- like accept that for this person, where they are, this is their burden. Let's pray about it. And then continue. Like, it's really hard to be prideful and judgmental in a conversation when you guys are both going before the throne of grace together. Mm-hmm. And not just at the start of the conversation and then letting it rip and letting it fly, but like, Continual prayer throughout the conversation. Yeah, I think that's really helpful in in these contexts. Good. Well, then let's end by praying. Can <laughs> yeah. I pray? Yes, That'd be great. Well, Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this book, Lord. Mm-hmm. This letter that came, oh Lord, uh, in its initial state as a rebuke, <laughs> um, and uh, and as a correction, as as a uh, an application that has come down through the ages as your word to us for ourselves, for our church, Lord God. And, and uh, we can resonate with, with Peter. We can resonate with, uh, with the challenges. And so I pray, O oh God, as we engage this text, O oh God, as we engage uh, the book of Galatians, as we, as we engage the gospel centrality mm-hmm. that Paul's bringing into play, Lord, that we would apply that as individuals and as a church, God, not for a predetermined end, not for, well, here's how we all have to, where we all have to get ultimately that, but that, that wherever we go, the effect is I can see the gospel at play in your life. Mm -hmm. And it plays out in our church in ways that, that affect people's experience of racial and ethnic unity. Lord, we, we want true unity and we thank you, O oh God, for this word and this text that, that, that pushes us that way, not only as a church, but individually, Lord. Help us to bear one another's burdens. Help us to love others. Lord, help us to walk as your children mm-hmm. uh, with one another in grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.